We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. A couple days ago, I dared to suggest that our public schools are failing, failing to teach our students not only how to read and write and count, but also failing to teach them how to think. And the left loses its ever-loving mind and proves my point by virtue of their responses. How did they ever become this intellectually inept Spoiler alert, they were taught in your local schools. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to today's Rebellion. Thank you so much for listening into this show. Today's topic is education again. I know, I know, you're probably saying, Piper, you talk about education too much. But we can't ignore the fact that almost everything that ails our culture right now goes back to the ideas that we imbibe. I want to focus on this fact that ideas have consequences. I want to go back to Richard Weaver's seminal work, 1948, Ideas Have Consequences. I've talked about it repeatedly on this show. Ideas have consequences. The ideas that you consume, if you will. These things that you digest ideologically are going to have a consequence in the body politic. They are going to bear fruit. And as I've said before, if you consume good ideas, you're going to have a healthy community, a healthy body politic. Good ideas, good culture, good community, good church, good country, good kids. And conversely, If you're consuming bad ideas, for example, if your diet is ideological carcinogens, then don't be surprised if you develop cancer of heart, mind, and soul. And I've said this before, like your grandmother told you, garbage in, garbage out. If you are reading bad material, and when I use the word bad, I'm talking about inferior ideas, ideas that have been proven over the course of human history to be negative, to bear negative consequences. Uh, For example, fascism has proven itself to be a negative idea, a bad idea. Socialism has proven itself to be a bad idea. Likewise, communism. We have 100 million people that are dead at the hands of socialism and communism just over the course of the last 100 years. This idea doesn't bear good fruit because it's a bad idea. The idea of sexual nihilism, of degrading and dumbing down the definition of what it means to be a human being to nothing but the sum total of your sexual proclivities, that if you want to do it, that's who you are, that you define yourself by your desires, that the human being is nothing but the sum total of your inclinations. Your identity is equal to what you're inclined to do. This is a terrible idea because it opens up Pandora's box to essentially say that the individual is nothing other than his imagination. 
what he thinks he is becomes his legal definition. You could think that you're a purple dragon, and that is the legal definition of who you are. I would hope that reality would check us, and we would recognize that you can imagine yourself to be something that's totally contrary to the biological, physiological, genetic facts of daily life. And that when you start defining yourself in a manner that's contrary to reality, it's not healthy for you, for your family, for your culture, for your community, and for our country. And that we should confront it and not coddle it. That we should help you and not enable you, if that's where you're going in your ideological frame of reference. So my point here is ideas. Ideas, ideas, ideas have consequences. Good ideas, good community, good culture. Bad ideas, bad community, bad culture. So here's the question before we take our break. Where do we get our ideas? Well, I've argued repeatedly that there are three entities in any culture that is that are three entities that are responsible for passing on the seminal ideas, the primary ideas, the priorities, the intellectual and moral priorities to their progeny, to their kids, to the next generation that will succeed us. And what are those four entities? Well, I would argue it's the parent, it's the pastor, and it's the pedagogue. It's the parent, it's the pastor or the priest, and it's the teacher. Every culture essentially gets its ideas from the family, from the church, and from its schools. That's where we get our ideas. And none of those entities can wash their hands and claim to be somehow guiltless in the behavior of the subsequent generations. And if your kids are off the rails, you know, maybe mom and dad have something to do with your kids being off the rails. You, you might want to look in the mirror and, and take some responsibility. Did you not teach them the right things? Did you not employ the right kind of correction and discipline? Often, the responsibility is the parents. Now, I'm not claiming that every kid that's off the rails has terrible parents. Sometimes you do a good job, and because of human uh, sin, because of free will, because people can make their own choices, they choose to diverge from the good ideas that they were taught. I get that. I get that. That's a different show, a different time. But bottom line, the general principle, we're talking about general principles here, and the general principle is that if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart. Meaning that if you train them up poorly, they're going to behave poorly. If you train them up properly, they're likely, by principle, going to behave properly because they think properly. Likewise, the church has responsibility for inculcating into its parishioners, into its congregation, into the faithful, the dogma, the ideas, the orthodoxy of the faith. That's the church's responsibility. And then the third entity is the local school system. And arguably, if you just look at the raw data, your sons and daughters spend more time in the school than they do in the church or even at the family dinner table. Therefore, quantitatively, the school, the school system, your local teachers, the local educational establishment has 
a disproportionate impact on the ideas that are going to prevail in our culture and in our country. This should be an irrefutable, uncontroversial statement. But when I bring up the fact that our school systems are failing and a lot of the problems that we face in culture right now are the result of bad education, the left comes unglued. And today I'm going to read some of the responses to a couple posts that I put out there on Facebook that prove my point. They can't open their mouth without demonstrating their vacuity of heart, mind, and soul, their intellectual incompetence. Almost every response is just proof that our schools have taught the next generation of Americans to be what Vladimir Lenin spoke of some 100 years ago. Nothing but useful idiots. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. What I want to do in the rest of the show is I'm Number one, I'm going to remind you of a couple posts that I put out there that I've already spoken about in previous programs, but I want to remind you what they are. They're very brief, and I'll describe them to you. And then I'm going to read a bunch of responses because these posts generated hundreds and hundreds of engagements in my social media. And unfortunately, the majority of the responses are angry, hateful, and vitriolic and bigoted. The bigotry of these people is rife. But unfortunately, they don't even understand the definition of bigotry. They'll accuse somebody who's a conservative Christian of being a bigot just because they don't like our ideas. They don't like our group. They don't like our Christianity, for example, or our conservatism. Or they'll put us in a political category and say, you people are all bigots. Do you know what the definition of bigotry is? The, <laughs> just go look it up. The definition is an obstinate or unreasonable attachment to a belief or a prejudice against a person or people on the basis of what? Their membership in a particular group. It is frankly stunning that these people miss the irony that while they point a finger of accusation outward, there are three fingers pointed backward at themselves. They are calling other people bigots. Why? Because they have an unreasonable prejudice against others because of their membership in a particular group, membership in the group called conservative Christianity. So what does that make them? It makes them bigots. They're demonstrating their bigotry toward this group of individuals, i.e. conservative Christians, traditionalists, that they disagree with. They cannot tolerate their intolerance. They hate those hateful people. They're sure that nothing is sure. They know that nothing can be known. And in their bigotry, they accuse everyone else of being bigots. They saw off the branch upon which they sit. And it comes, it comes excuse me, tumbling down almost every time they post something or open their mouth. So back to my, back to my social media and some of the responses. I need to preserve a little bit of time here so I can read those to you. So I posted this one cover of the Washington Examiner, which had a picture on it of a mother holding on to her child and a teacher trying to take that child out of the mother's arms. There's this angry struggle 
over who's going to control this child. Whose child is this? And you have a mom holding on dearly to her son, and you have a teacher tugging at that child to take it away. Now, the teacher in this particular picture has a tattoo on her neck of the Democrat Party donkey, as well as uh, an Obama tattoo. And she also has other emblems that demonstrate she's part of the progressive left. And then the mother is dressed in a traditional way. It looks like the stereotype of a 30-year-old mom trying to raise her son in a noble and honorable fashion. So this picture portrays the struggle between parents and education. That's the point. Well, I posted that picture on Facebook, and I just said this. This is all I put as the text for my post. Remember this picture and caption on April 5 when you vote for school board. This battle is real, even here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and anyone who is suggesting otherwise is lying to you. Anyone who is suggesting otherwise is lying to you. That's what I posted. Oh, my land. Oh, my land. Hundreds and hundreds of responses. And unfortunately, unfortunately, over 50% of them were negative. I'm going to share some of those negative responses in a, in a second. The second post that I put out there was related to this. In fact, I posted it seconds after the one I just described with the same picture of the mother and the teacher struggling over who's going to control this child. Whose child is it? I posted this because I didn't want to be misinterpreted as picking on all teachers. There are still some good ones out there, and I didn't want them to feel like they were being attacked too. So I posted this. Not all teachers are this crazy. There are some real heroes that are still out there, still left. But these good teachers must be supported and encouraged proactively by school board members. If the admin endorses people aligned with the alphabet soup nonsense of LGBTQIA, CRT, BLM, which has happened even here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, they must be replaced. So those are the two posts with the same picture of the battle between a good mom and the educational establishment represented in the uh, the mother wrestling, trying to hold on to her son while this teacher tries to wrest control of the son from the mother. Okay, I also posted this. I posted all parents voting for school board members on April five. If there's a candidate in your district not applauding Governor DeSantis's signing of Florida's parental rights and education bill into law, do not vote for him. These are your kids, not theirs. Okay? Now, why would that be controversial? Why would that be controversial? There's another post I put out there. You need to understand this discussion in the context of everything I put into a series of posts that were relatively close to one another. There's another picture out there. I shared it with you yesterday. It's a picture of a young boy reading a book. Um, He's leaning up against a stack of books. The books appear to be old, representing the wisdom of the ages. And there's a scene in the background of a World War II battle. The boy is reading the book, and the caption says this. This is how you stop tyranny. You start teaching U.S. history again. I posted, school boards should be endorsing people who still believe in teaching the exceptionalism of the American experiment, not those who rail against fundamentalism while identifying as bi and poly on their Facebook. Why did I do that? Because we have a school board member in Bartlesville who has endorsed a person who was a candidate for the House of Representatives who identified on her Facebook page as bi poly. 
I described to you yesterday what bi-poly means. Bi, bisexual, poly, polyamorous. Uh, in other words, apparently this person is telling us what her sexual proclivities are, uh, bisexual and polyamorous, uh, with more than one sex and more than one person. Why we have to know all this, please, please, progressives, stop telling us what kind of sex you want to engage in and what kind of sex you like. We don't want to know. And frankly, if you'd stop talking about it, we wouldn't care. Again, if you want us to stay out of your bedroom, would you please just shut the door and stop posting your sexuality, your sexual proclivities, and by inference, your sexual behavior on your social media. Please just stop, especially if you want to get engaged in the educational debate and if you want to run as a candidate for the House of Representatives. We don't want to know about your bedroom. Oh, my land. All right. So here are some responses. I'm just going to go through and read some of the responses to these posts. Posts that, again, essentially make the point that there is a struggle over your children right now. There's a struggle between parental authority, parental responsibility. These are my kids. They aren't yours. I will teach them what's right and wrong. I send them to school simply for you to teach them how to read, how to write, how to count. And it might be a good idea to teach them that our Constitution is a good thing and not a bad thing. Just saying. All right. Some of the responses. I'm going to read a few here. There are literally hundreds of responses. I think there were over 400, maybe 500 responses to this. Over 1,100 engagements. And again, the unfortunate thing is the majority of the responses are negative, critical, laden with laughing emojis, a lot of mockery. Very little very little in terms of a cogent response, a good argument, or a good debate. Here's an example from Matt. All in capital letters. This is a mocking response with capital letters and triple uh, exclamation points, etc. And it is accompanied by 36 laughing emojis from followers who apparently agree with him and think this is funny. Thank you, Dr. Piper. Protest the vote. Stay home and pray. Amen. Build your not bolding. So essentially, he's mocking the faith of anybody who's a Christian who follows me and believes that we should be praying for our country, praying for our students, that we just need to stay home and engage in our opiate of the masses, our, our religion, our worship of the spaghetti monster in the sky. We need to stay home and pray while the rest of us smart folks go to the voting booth and vote for the right candidate. That's what he's saying, and he gets 36 individuals that are following him to laugh at that. Do you see much um, intellectual heft to his argument? Is there much substance at all in what he's saying? Is there any uh, rebuttal of what I'm trying to convey in my posts? No, it's just this emotional reaction of mockery. And this is all done under the banner of tolerance, I might add. Here's another response from a young girl named Heather. She says this, and she's responding to my call to teach the goodness of America, American exceptionalism, that that would be a positive thing to do in the classroom that might actually um, accrue to our advantage as a culture rather than the opposite. She's responding to that assumption, that uh, post on my part, by saying this, to be fair, America was great before colonization, that is. That's what she said. 135 likes to that particular post. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Michael in that thread with regard to Heather's post says, make America a vast expanse of old growth forests with no certain borders again. 41 likes. 
So America was great before colonization, before the Declaration of Independence, before the Federalist Papers, before the Constitution, before the March for Human Rights, Human Dignity, and Human Freedom. That's when America was great, and we need to make America a vast expanse of old-growth forests with no certain borders again. 41 likes. Here's a response from a guy who carries the name Jesus Jesus on Facebook. Is he mocking Jesus in that, uh, in that Facebook identity? I don't know. You decide. But this is what he says. The people living in North and South America were far more advanced than their European counterparts. While Europeans were trying to figure out if eating their own feces was bad, the Aztecs had already discovered aqueducts and were accurately plotting their land and predicted the movement of the celestial bodies hundreds of years into the future and also discovered hydroponics. That's his post. So... He's been taught somewhere that the Aztecs were more advanced than their European counterparts. Forget that part about human sacrifice. That doesn't matter. And that Europeans were still eating their own feces while the Aztecs were developing all of these scientific advancements in, um, in astronomy as well as plotting land and building aqueducts. But again... The fact that they sacrificed human beings to their gods, I guess that doesn't matter. They were still more advanced. Now, Heather responds again and says, yes, she's responding to Jesus Jesus here. Yes, land back, love from a native woman. That's her post, and she gets nine, excuse me, ten likes for that. So she's making the argument that I guess all of us and our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers who have purchased land legally and contractually over the course of the last couple hundred years in the United States, we should all be forced to give that land back. Now, you have to ask the logical question, don't you? Give it back to who? Who are you giving it back to? And uh, you don't get, <laughs> all, you, all, you, all you get is an indignant stare when you ask this question of these progressives. They haven't thought through the ramifications of their broken ideas. Now, here's another jewel of a response. This one is from a woman named V. And she says this, Religious extremists all seem to want a caliphate, and Christians are no exception, close quote. So I guess according to V, you or I arguing that moms and dads should take responsibility for the moral instruction of their children, and that they're your kids, they're not the states, they're not the schools, they are your children. And that the schools, teachers, administrators, school boards have no right to try to wrest control of those children, their souls, their moral upbringing from you. When you uh, exert your parental authority, that's somehow being religious extreme? Or, or teaching that America actually has some good stuff in its history and that our fight for freedom should be extolled rather than excoriated? That's religious extremism, and that's akin to wanting a Christian caliphate. Stop and think about that. Uh, here's a response from a woman named D. She basically is quoting me and a couple others in a mocking way. The proof to that is she gets 78 laughs in response for posting this, and I quote, children belong to parents, not government, exclamation point. She's mocking, and she's getting 78 laughs in response to that. Uh, then D goes further to make her point, and she says this, actually, 
children aren't your personal property. You care for them and are responsible for them, but kids are their own people. Well, okay, she's getting into an interesting area here, but she's essentially arguing that they're not your kids. They're not your property. Well, no one's arguing that children are property. What they are arguing, what I am arguing, is that children belong to parents. They do belong to you. You are the guardian. You are the custodian. You are the mother. You are the father. You have responsibility for them. You have authority over them. And until they reach the age of maturity, of adulthood, there are certain things that children can't do legally, like buy cigarettes or buy alcohol or vote or drive a car. Why? It's because they're not adults yet and they don't have the autonomy, the legal autonomy that comes with adulthood. And prior to that point, legally, morally, ethically, the mom and dad, the parents have the authority and responsibility over those children. So in that sense, they are yours. They're not the state's. And anytime the state starts arguing that all of that stuff, everything I just said, needs to be supplanted because the state will take over all of those functions, we should be saying, no, no, they're not yours, they're mine. I don't apologize for saying, he's my son, she's my daughter, she's not yours, he's not yours, these are my kids, get your hands off them. But D takes issue with that by saying, well, they're not personal property, Uh, they're not your kids, You're responsible for them, I hope, but they're their own people. Well, actually, no. A 10-year-old isn't his own person legally. Even the common law, the legal code of the United States acknowledges what I'm saying right now. Children do belong to their parents in the sense that moms and dads are the custodians, guardians of their own sons and daughters, and that children do not have full rights until they reach adulthood. And that prior to that time, you are your dad's son. You are your mom's daughter. Not the states, not the neighbors. Your parents do have authority over you. But these people take issue with that by challenging the entire concept of parenthood. I could go on and on and on. There's so much more I could share. But my point in this show is this. Let's t- I'll conclude by just reminding you of what the Black Lives Matter Charter and Mission Statement says. Their goal is to dismantle the nuclear family. And when you have school after school after school in Bartlesville or elsewhere that's teaching this stuff, this Frankfurt School, these Marcusean ideas of dismantling the nuclear family, don't be surprised when these ideas start prevailing in the public square. And when you start getting mocked, excuse me, when you start getting mocked for simply arguing for parental rights. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas, bad culture, and the ideas we've been teaching are bearing fruit. Barack Obama's pastor was right. The chickens are coming home to roost. And our schools cannot wash their hands of this. And when you go to the voting booth on April 5th, remember that. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.